Hi guys, it's Stephen Sully here. I'm the host to the uh, Stephen Sully Study. I recently got introduced or invited onto the Disruptive Entrepreneur by Rob Moore. And I went along with a good friend of mine, ex Man United and England football star, Kieran Richardson. Um, we spoke about watches, cars, art, business in general, and also mindset. It was a great honor to be on this podcast simply because Rob is a friend of mine. I, go, I get a lot of motivation, inspiration from the man. And most importantly, he's a mentor to me. So I hope you enjoy it and um, hope everybody got massive value out of it because it was definitely fun doing it. And I'd love to do it again at some point. Thank you very much. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I always think of you as Steve. Do you prefer Steve or Stephen? Don't really matter. Yeah. No? No. No, I'm, I'm good. What does your mum call you? Uh, arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what? I don't even know. Steve. I don't even... What does your missus call you when she's turned on? If she... Because you call her... Well, call, don't call you that. It's normally when she's pissed off. She goes, Stephen. Yeah. 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 Hi, it's Rob Moore here, and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast and simultaneous live stream. Uh, so this is a bit of an experimental episode. Uh, I'm with two really great guys who have become really good friends over the last, what, sort of year or two. Steve's launched a, a great podcast, um, and Kieran, you'll probably recognise Kieran, um, ex-England footballer, uh, and now um, podcaster, watch... Connoisseur, hustler, what, what? <laughs> hustler. Better say hustler than a connoisseur. I yeah. <laughs> so what we thought we'd do today is um, just have a chat about watches, <clears throat> about cars, about podcasts, about things that we're kind of we're all interested in, um, and just see how it goes. Yeah, um, Steve, do you want to tell everyone a bit about your podcast as well? Yeah. So um, it's called the Stephen Sully Study. My name is Stephen Sully. This is almost like a part two for me with Kieran because I've got a. An episode dropping tomorrow, I think it's number 26 or 27 or something like that. We filmed at the Curtain Club and um, have a wellness company called Mimboso and the extension of that is my podcast and it's talking everything from uh, business to training, nutrition and Kieran just fit the bill. Of course, Rob does as well. But uh, initially, I wanted to speak to Kieran about his Rob football Rob fits the bill, but Kieran's a bigger name. That's what you really want to say. <laughs> well, I, I just say he could probably keep balls better than you. Yeah, he definitely can, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's nice. It's just going to blend into mm. a, a bit of a nice transition. Mm. Why did you want to get into podcasts? Because you actually did our podcast training, didn't you, to start your podcast? Yeah, do you know what? Like, um, I was getting mentored by Progressive Property, by mm. a couple of your your, your guys. Uh, shout out to Steve Mitchell and also Jamie Medill, I think mm -hmm. yeah, that's it. Really good guys. And then I just come across um, your money book. And then I went on to the free dayer, I think it was, or two dayer. The money event. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I got a lot of value from the book. Always got a lot of value out of these kind of networking events mm. and talk talks. Okay. And it just come up. I don't know how it come up, but you were talking about the numbers that you've done on Facebook, LinkedIn, <clears throat> Instagram, but then also podcasting. Yeah. And I think now you're up to about 2 million subscribers or something, are you? Yeah, a bit more than that now. Yeah, yeah. I think at the time it was just, say, only a mil, but about a million just yeah. over that. Two million, wow. And I was just mm. like thinking, do you know what? I do a lot of public speaking anyway. I go to sales companies, train them. I thought it just, it's something I enjoy anyway, and it just gives you kind of validation to your own mm. brand. Mm. So even if I'm not going to monetize it straight away, the trickle effect is yeah. you're going you're gonna to get some kind of business or network. And it's allowed me to meet you know, loads of different people. I've knew Kieran before, but you know, it had a platform for us to talk. I would definitely recommend it. If you've got a business, you want to scale it, mm. podcasting is the way forward. And you're thinking about launching one, aren't you, Kieran? Yeah, tomorrow I'm doing a podcast with my, my friends. It's called Band of Brothers. Uh, I don't know when it's going to launch, though, but we're doing a pilot tomorrow. So we'll see how it goes. That's Cheeks on it as well. Yeah. yeah a good yeah, friend of ours. Yeah. Is that, is, there's five of us doing it. So it should, should be a laugh. We're just talking about general things, just what guys talk about, whatever's going on in the news at the time. Mm. And what's your motivation to do a podcast? My motivation? Um, that's... Just, you know what, we, we talk so much on the WhatsApp in the groups, <clears throat> so much about just general things and we just argue in the groups. We'd rather just, we say, we might as well let everyone else hear what we're talking about, mm. you know, and see how it goes from there. Mm. That's it, really. I think the world has changed in that, um, if you think about 15, 20 years ago, media was all corporations, you know, British 
Broadcasting Corporation, HBO, and you were talking about being in a studio like this for Sky, getting this massive, um, or TalkSport, getting this massive checklist of things to say. Mm. Now people want to hear just conversations, I think. Yeah. I mean, mm. some of the best podcasts I love are just conversations with people that I'm interested in. And yes, yeah, a bit of a longer listen. Um, and sometimes you have to filter through some of the bits you're interested in or not. We're going to probably talk about watches and cars and things mm. like that, which hopefully people are interested in. Um, but I think it's good because it's a more honest medium yeah. where you get to talk to people where, where their guards are down. Yeah. And also I think people like the fact that they can have a conversation without being edited mm. or sort of manipulated in the media. People, mm-hmm. people like real, like real conversation. Nothing, as you said, nothing edited, um, which is great for us, which we're doing now. Mm. So. In the world of football, high-profile football, did you find that sometimes you were mi- misrepresented in the press and all that? For sure, definitely. Yeah. Sometimes you know, the media would write about footballers a certain way and obviously people reading the papers would take judgment on that. Mm. And in some cases, it's not the case. Yeah. And, you know, I think now with the social media, the platform was there, footballers get to interact with the fans and they... Like if you write if you write something bad about me, I can come out and say no, it wasn't true. Yeah. I was at home with my wife and kids. I wasn't yeah. at the nightclub. Mm. So I think in that sense, it's, it's really good. Mm. And if it's your podcast, you can say and do whatever you want. Exactly. You can react to the media. Yeah. Um, I think Russell Brand, he's got like a really Has big he? podcast. He's really good at bringing social media and podcasts into give his sort of political views. Mm-hmm. Um, and also now a lot of people, I saw this change. There's a guy called Grant Cardone, he's big in America, he's got a 10X brand. And, um, you know, like five years ago when an American comes to the UK, who's quite big in the media, he'll go and do TV and radio. And Grant Cardone came over to the UK, had a couple of big speaking gigs. He did no TV, no radio. He just went on a load of podcasts. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was when I was like, well, he doesn't want to do TV media because he's not really got control of it. It's not got editorial control. That's it. When you do a podcast, you know you're probably not going to get twisted. Um, I mean, like if you get on Tim Ferriss's podcast or Joe Rogan's podcast or Adam Buxton's podcast or Fern Cotton's podcast, you can get out to millions of people unedited. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, like you said, if you're in the media and you're out in a nightclub and you were doing this, that, and the other, you can go on a podcast the next day and go, no, I wasn't, this is what I was doing. Yeah, exactly. I think, it, it, you know, like the news, politics, uh, I know there's a lot of controversial things which are happening, but the media does have a, a way or a habit of twisting things mm. just to make it... I don't want to knock them and say they're doing it just to sell papers, but at the end of the day, that is their role. Mm. Good thing about doing podcasts, it is just a raw example or conversations of what people are having. Mm. And um, my first few episodes, uh, which was just, just myself rather than in- interviewing, I was doing things on sales or things of that nature, or motivation maybe. And I remember getting stopped by one guy. It's only happened once so far, but it was a really nice feeling, very humbling. Mm. And come over to me, just a regular guy, and he said, I get a lot of value out of it. And he said, it's nice to hear someone English actually doing it because Tony Robbins, Brian Tracy, Zig yes. Ziglar, all the, all the regular powerhouses mm. in that space are phenomenal. But sometimes <coughs> a big American mm. is very, very different for, to someone from South London yes. who's a salesperson. Mm. So you might get motivated. Stitches in his eye. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm a true thoroughbred. Um, And uh, yeah, we we, we can relate to you more. People can relate to it. I'm not going to. Not everyone's going to be able to relate to me. Mm. um, But when he when he said it, I thought, you know what, that makes me feel good. Did he recognise you? I think just off of uh, just Instagram, he subscribed to my podcast. I don't know how. And um, like I said, it was. So you're famous now. Nearly at your level, <laughs> You know, I'm probably going to go on Sky Sports News next. <laughs> no joke. But I actually found that because obviously I'm not like, you know, in the league of you, Kieran, in terms of how well known I am. But I spent 10 years working really hard building up my company, Progressive Property, which is, you know, it's probably a 40, 50 million pound value business now. And I'd get recognised once every five years. Uh, and then within, what, a year of doing my podcast... I get stopped two or three times everywhere I go oh. at the airport, just in around Peterborough High Street or wherever I go anywhere. And that the podcast has given me that platform. I'm just a normal guy. I'm not, I haven't been able to leverage a celebrity brand like others do. Mm. And by the way, if I was a celebrity, I would try and leverage that brand, but I'm not. So podcast has given me a reach that, you know, otherwise would probably only be if I was a celebrity or I'd got a mainstream media, yeah. which is really exciting. So, um, there's one common thing that have brought all of us together, and that's watches. Because I remember 
clear as day how we properly met because Steve was in our podcast course, but there were like 70 people in that course. There was a lot, yeah. And I walked straight up to you and I went, I love your Patek. Yeah. Because um, he had he's got, he had the same Patek Philippe Lovely. Nautilus on. Fifth and 990. Yeah. And um, that, so for me, the, a great thing about um, having what an interest in watches is it, it brings together mm. people who are, you know, if you've got a Patek Philippe on, Patek, Patek, there's a certain amount of things that you have to know yeah. and probably level of business and type of things you have to have experienced in your life to be able to afford a 50 or a 45,000 pound watch. Um, now you're the man for watches because you know everything about watches. No, I don't watches, know everything. And you've had most of my money, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no, I don't know everywhere watches. Obviously I've been collecting watches for 17 years. It's a long time. Obviously when I was playing football, <clears throat> I always, Bought watches throughout my career. And, and did you buy them because you loved them or did you buy them because you had a sniff that they might no, hold no, your money? Always love. Yeah. I think anything I buy is originally from love. I love looking at watches. I just, when I, when I buy my watches now, I buy it for the look, if I'm honest, not mm. because I know it's going to go up in value or what, what you can do, the functions you can do, just like the cars as well we were talking about the other day. Yeah. So for me, I was collecting watches. And I just fell into what I do now and obviously selling watches to people. And I just love it. I love giving people enjoyment. You know, when I give you a watch, you know, you see your face smile, it's nice. And then when I give you 120 grand, <laughs> see your face smile. <laughs> uh, I was gonna, when you said that you saw his watch, mm. is that the first thing you look at when someone watches? Yeah, me. Do you? I'm, I always yeah. go yeah. to see, I'm like that. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Because yeah. I'm in watches, first thing I look at someone, I meet them, naturally I just look at their watch. Yeah, yeah. me too. Obviously, some people, I don't know, might look at their shoes or whatever. I'm, I'm a watch guy. It's a bit it. like that. It's like, I know, it's like a, a badge mm. almost. And it's like a, a rapport builder. Because mm. straight away, even if you don't know that person, mm. you might even be slightly intimidated by somebody mm. to approach them. But the moment they've got a watch on that you recognise, mm. you just drop in something and straight away the conversations, you know, manifest from there. Yeah. And I think it's a great way of um, networking. Mm. I'd actually done an episode on the reasons why some people should look at uh, investing or buying into a watch. But, no, some, but some people don't like watches, though. And yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like... As someone just mentioned on the live, no mug punter then. I am probably the biggest mug punter ever. <laughs> I'm the easiest person to sell a watch to. Well, do you know what I mean? Easy. Yeah, but it's a little sorry, bit like... Sorry. It's a little bit like um, art. Mm. So there's there's... There's people that would say, oh, I'm not really into art. Mm. And I would always suggest that they need to get educated on the artist, the yeah. art itself, before they make a, a, a real uh, uh, real comment about it. Yes. Because I think it all comes from the education. Mm. Once you get educated on, certainly Patek Philippe, mm. I remember my business partner for my birthday got me a, a trip to Geneva. Mm. And we went to their factory. flagship store. We what? went to their factory. Mm. I didn't realise they only make about 58,000 watches a year. Now, mm. if you compare that to Rolex... More I than a million. More I than a million. I think yeah. it was 30 million. Yeah, I think millions. it was. 30 millions, million. yeah. yeah. And they also said that uh, this is still the only family-run business as far as watches are concerned. Well, they're looking to sell it now, apparently. AP, really? AP a family. Uh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, AP, yeah. Mm. Well, I, I sat next down to Pierre, someone, one of, one of, okay. the, one of the top guys, yes. and they, they say the unique thing about them opposed to Rolex mm. is Rolex will take probably days to make a decision on which way that the business should go and yes. the type of watches they should bring out because there's a board. Mm. But with Patek, they will literally make a decision within about an hour mm. between three of them. Smaller business, smaller company, can be more flexible. Business, yeah. yeah. And it was just nice to feel like you're actually buying into something more than yeah. something telling the time. You're buying into something intricate, heritage, history, mm. and something which I feel is still quite like, I don't know, intimate, you know? Yes. Their business. Mm. The brand's an amazing brand. So good. It's probably my favourite brand. What, Patek? Yeah, for sure. That RM. Yeah. I know your RM. Yeah, I love Richard Mille. Yeah. yeah. I have to say, uh, AP and Patek. Yeah. I think Patek for me edges it, but AP... Well, both Patek, like Patek and AP are both still family run. Mm. Um, I think it's like the... I didn't know that about yeah, AP. Yeah, 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 that, yeah that's and that, good. Um, because, you know, it's LMVH, they bought loads of watch mm. brands, haven't they? And then yes. they just, you know, you can't blame them because mm. they're a business, but then mm. they turn them into a mass-produced, mm. mass-volume watch and kind of lose that. Um, you know, I think a watch is a statement, mm. and this is a statement of 
who you are with oh, the watch that you wear, just because everything is, your clothes are, your car are. And if you don't like a nice watch and you don't <coughs> want to wear expensive clothes, that's still a statement. Mm. You know, when I used to be into Rage Against the Machine and wear T-shirts t- with fuck you on the front, mm. that was a statement. Yeah. So we're all making a statement and some people think, oh, you know, fancy watches, you know, a hundred grand or whatever for a watch, that's just ridiculous. But we're all making a statement of who we are hoping that other people that are like us will notice us for who we are. Mm. Why do you wear a rock T-shirt? So you hopefully you can meet people who are into rock. Mm. So as soon as I saw that watch on your wrist, I just felt like I knew you already. And, and it's funny, yeah, everything, it's in that moment of looking at that watch, everything I thought you might be as a person, you are as a person. We built up a good friendship. And it was actually you that introduced me to Kieran, it's just from a watch. It's just this just is how, from this a watch. <laughs> yeah, and you don't even have to say anything. Now, if that had been a tag her, I would not have blinked. And there's nothing wrong with a tag her. Yes. Um, you know, but uh, yeah. And something for me that's really important in watches uh, is I don't want to lose my money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I know some people can say, oh, you, these guys talking about watches, 100 grand watches, you know, it's a, a heinous waste of money. And, you know, like I wouldn't buy a watch for 100 grand and then, you know, have it worth 50 grand in three years. Mm-hmm. For me, that's just dumb. Yes. Um, but as you get more into things like watches and art and cars and stuff like that, you can have free watches. So we've had a free introduction to each other thanks to watches. Um, that's a free watch for you. In fact, that's probably made you 20 grand. Mm. That's a free watch to you. This is a free watch to me because it goes up in value. Mm. So just a little bit of education in art or cars or watches, you could buy a Rolex Daytona. It's a free watch. It could be your first watch. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to do it with my hi-fi equipment, a free hi-fi equipment. Now, you might have to pay more capital Mm. to get the right brand, but it's free use of it. You Mm -hmm. you had a Speciale, didn't you? You you basically had that free. Yeah, basically. I bought it. For X amount, I sold it for a little bit more. It was a free car, mm. as you said. You no, know, even especially oh, watches. So nice that car, though. I know, but your SV is better. Yeah, it is better. Um, <laughs> but the reason why I sold the special because I wasn't driving it. I yeah. like I like to do my when I buy these things. I like to use them. Yeah, my watches, my yeah. cars. Mm. I know some people like sitting there looking pretty, but I like to actually get into them and drive it. So the reason why I sold the special because I wasn't driving it, it's got rid of it. Mm. But as you said, yeah, but you made on it. But I made on it. Cause, yeah, because you bought a car with limited run yes. at the right p- point, at the right price. Yes, for sure. And mm. just, as I said, just saying the watches, it's buying the correct watches, knowing that it's going to go up. Mm. You know, it's got good stories behind them, great history, as you said, as the, the brand. Mm. So if someone wants to get into watches watching this, let's say that they like to own something nice and they want to feel like they're putting their money in a safe place and it's going to, you know, maybe at the worst not lose, but mm. maybe make. Yes. Where should they start? Me, I'd start... Lower end, probably Rolex. You know, as you said, you know, you've got the Kermits, you've got the Daytonas. Yeah. These are solid watches. They, they will, I cannot see how they'd ever go down. No, no, I can't see it going no. down. Especially Daytonas don't go down. I mean, if, you, that, if you track back on Daytona price. It's crazy, isn't yeah. it? I know that they're discontin- the, the, the older ones are discontinued now, but the newer ones, they're like, they're nine grand retail. They're going for like 17,000. I've got the one before the yeah. uh, ceramic bezel, got yes. white face. Yeah, in yeah, actual yeah. fact, my business partner bought me mm. bought me it and I bought, bought him the same watch mm. a couple of years before. Mm. I think we paid like five grand. Yeah, and look at that. And now, you know, <laughs> five, five grand, grand those days are gone. Yeah. I, I remember Ridiculous. my first Daytona, Amazing. I paid five and a half mm. for just a standard black face yeah. one. That's probably 15 now. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's amazing. We look at uh, the Paul Newmans. I know they're uh, obviously a little bit more. Well, they are oh, very yes. rare, but the ones from like nineteen fifties or whatever, they're yeah. silly. Well, well, what, did, what did Paul Newman's Paul Newman sell for? Seventeen million. Seventeen million quid <laughs> for for a one-off Paul Newman. <laughs> Paul it, Newman. It wasn't even in good condition. It was battered. Yeah, was, but people like that. They like the originality of it. Definitely, I I, I like that because even though people like buying new watches, I get that unworn watches, but. Especially vintage, people want history behind it. Mm. Comexes and mill subs, these guys, you know, they've performed with, with the watch on. Yeah. And people like to have a story about that. Yeah. How do you make sure you don't buy like a vintage watch, but it's a Frankenstein, it's been butchered, it's got sort of all the wrong parts in it, all that? Because I see on eBay people selling mm. um, Steve McQueen orange hands. Yes. Just selling the hands, mm. you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's, just, it's very hard. You can get stung. A lot of people do get stung. <clears throat> Especially with the vintage watches, so you, it's hot. you need to find someone who you know is credible to, you know, to say verify the watch. Yeah. 
um, which you find with the old watches, a lot of them don't have the papers no more. Mm. So what you, what you tend to do is get a specialist, open the watch up, look at them, um, the movement, check it's the right parts and things like that. Mm. Yeah, I always, always um, buy box and papers. Yeah. Do you think that's recommended? Definitely. Yeah. Um, the newer watches, the ones we buy, like with all these watches, you have to have box and papers. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, people do lose them, which is fine. What, what people tend to do, if they do lose them, give, get, get a service and they'll give you like a little service receipt thing. So there is some sort of clarification that it's real. Because when you come to sell it, people, want, people just want to know that it's real, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what they want to know. Yeah, um, because there's, there's more doubt in a watch that doesn't have box and papers than definitely. it could have been stolen. It's naturally, or, it's naturally yeah. doubt. You know, if, if someone comes to me and says, oh, no box and papers, in my head, naturally, I think, Stolen. Yeah. yeah. Even though it might not be stolen, mm. like, you could just lose it. Moving house, you could just lose papers. Yeah. But people think it's stolen. Oh, how much is it? And watches without boxing papers are less money. Yeah. So, what sort of percentage would you say normally? 20 to 30%. Yeah. But then the older the watch gets and the more money it's worth, yes. that exaggerates, doesn't I think, it? Yeah. I think in the vintage game, it's completely different. Yeah. People expect it to have no papers. Yeah. And if it does have papers, then you've got like, the whole crowd premium. we're talking. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds. Yeah. You know, like, I think a, a lot of people ask me about investing money, and obviously I'm into property, um, and, you know, that makes sense. But if you bought a fairly nice Rolex once a year with a bit of your dividends or your profit, mm. uh, and you kept it and you put the box and paper somewhere, in 20 years... For sure. Because you've you done all right, haven't you? Yeah, because you've got to remember Rolex and all these brands, they put their retail prices up every yeah. year, a few yeah. percentage. So it's naturally going up either way. So mm. I'll, it's, a, it's, it's a no-brainer for me. Yeah. You know, obviously I don't want to tell people what to do with their money. No. But what I've done with my money is put into watches and I've made a lot of money mm. from it. I think it helps if you're passionate as well, yeah. because even in your downtime, you won't see it as work. You'll yeah. just be researching, watching, mm. going to forums. Mm. And it'll just Talking be a bit of fun. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you'll just organically track the market anyway yeah. and you'll know when to get in when to get out yeah. roughly uh, and, right. and i think with any investing that's a big part of it a lot of people say oh what's the best investment class the one you have the most passion about is probably the best one because you know property is a great investment class but if you're just not into property mm. you're never going to do it properly yeah um you know you probably know people who make a lot of money uh, <coughs> buying and selling cars because they love cars and they know the market yeah so i think you've got to love what you do like i love what i do i love mm. selling watches to people uh, I, I love, I don't, I don't sell cars, but I love buying cars and using them. Mm. Um, you love property. Yeah. Um, I love property as well. So I do have property as well. But I think in, in anything in life, you've got to enjoy what you're doing. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think a lot of people have fear that uh, they're not going to be all right or mm. they're not going to get by or they're not going to be able to afford to pay their mortgage and everything yeah. else. Mm. Um, doing something that they love mm. so then for decades they do things that they don't love and then yeah. their life sort of has drifted away mm. but anyone can you know hustle and you know get through a hard year or two trying to build up what you love mm. and then move into it yeah exactly I think where you were really yeah, smart yeah I think like, like you said there my money came from football mm. so I, I, I'm lucky enough to have money from football so I've, I've gone on to ha- be able to buy watches and buy cars through my football if I didn't have my football, then it's harder for me to go and buy these watches and buy these cars. Mm. So as you said there, sometimes you graft in a certain job, what you might not like, but once you get to a certain stage, if you build your money up, then you can go and do what you want to do. Mm. But you were smart about it because I've met a lot of footballers and sports people um, who, you know, their career ended pretty quickly mm. and then they were sort of left out to dry. Mm. But didn't, didn't your dad sort of drum in you a bit about business and entrepreneurship? Definitely my father and my mum as well. I'm from obviously working class background. Um, obviously. Most footballers are from a working class yeah, background. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, of course. It's, yeah. it's, it's normal. Yeah. Um, but for my whole life, I always saw my mum and dad doing businesses. I told you in the podcast, you know, we, we've owned sandwich shops, video shops, coat hanger companies. You know, and we, so I've, I've naturally seen that through my family and it's rubbed off on me. Yeah. Even though I was a footballer, I've always wanted to, I've always like a type of business guy. I just love running businesses. But yeah, as you said, footballers, yeah, they, they end their career. They don't know what else to do because they've not probably not been taught. They don't know any different. No, they, they haven't been taught. They, I know in football, we have an organisation called the PFA, which is supposed to trying to help footballers, you know, guide them. If I'm honest, they don't really do nothing. And they're probably listening now, but it doesn't matter. I don't care. Um, when I was a footballer, all, all, they said, all they said was to me was, 
okay, do a pension. And I was, I, me being me, and obviously having my background in, with my dad and property, I thought, no, I'll do, I'll do a pension with you, but minimal. I put little money in there. All my pension was property, buy property. My dad said to me, the first contract that I ever got, professional contract, buy a flat. I bought a flat. The next contract I got, buy a house. I bought a house. The next contract I got, buy another house, bought another house. That's the way I was brought up. And mm. that's the way my dad invented <coughs> <embedded> in me. <coughs> but some, also, some footballers and not even footballers, people, they don't have that guidance. No, yeah. You know, they don't know what they don't know. Exactly. And I, I was lucky in that friend. I had my dad telling me in my ear, got to buy this, got to buy this. So some of the footballers now, where they might be in a single parent household, and you know, I, for example, their mum, they get so much money and the parents, they, they, so much money towards them, they don't really want to tell their kids anything. Because, yeah. you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so in that sense, I understand why it's, it's hard for some parents, in, especially in football, to tell their, their child something because they're making so much money. They don't want to upset their child. But I think you have to tell your child what's best for them. Mm. I, I think a big issue is here. Is once you start making a decent amount of money, mm. you don't need to worry so much about your future. Mm. Um, it's like Warren Buffett says, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. The best time to plan for your future is when it's going well yes. instead of wait until it doesn't go so mm. well. Because, you know, you might be, you know, one injury or one sort of bad contract or one management change. Definitely. And your career's gone off a cliff. I'm going back to my dad again. He always said that to me, you know, treat your contract as your last contract. Yeah. So when I got a big contract, he said, this might be your last payday. So you have to plan ahead. Mm. And I, so basically I was planning ahead since I was 18 years old. Because mm. I never knew, as you said, it can get injured straight away. When, you know, it happens to so many guys yeah. right out of the game. And next week, you know, you haven't got no income coming in. So you have to plan ahead and you know treat everything like it's your last money. Because mm. you actually, um, you were able to retire from football on your own terms, weren't you? Because you probably could have played more seasons. Definitely. We, what spoke, aged, what we spoke about this, didn't we? Did just, just the other week. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you only gave up, what, two years ago? Yeah, two years ago. I'm, I'm 34 now. I asked him the question. I said, well, if okay, you... wait, wait, wait. I'm not officially retired. Yeah, this is it. Don't, don't it. put it out there. Don't <laughs> put it out there. I said, if you really wanted to make a return, do you reckon you could get into the premiership, another premiership team? If I was fit, of yeah. course I can. That's, 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 what that's, a great feeling, though. Knowing that you could turn it on. That's not a problem. Worst case, championship. But <laughs> worst case, no, because you you, you, have yeah. that, you have that natural ability. You know? yeah. it's, it's always there. Yeah. It's, it's a matter because I'm so young still. It's a matter of just getting fit and losing losing the weight. It's not nothing to do with football, you know. So, mm. what a great feeling? Yeah. It's, 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 why, why are you smirking? Why, no, what's in no, your head? no, I'm just, have you got something really happening. No, I'm, I'm, just going, I'm going back to what you said about. You're goading him into this, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no, I'm not trying to get back. Even though I do get people say to me, "Oh, why don't you come play in India?" or around the world for like six months and things like that. Don't get me wrong, it'd be a great experience to go in India, but my family's here, my wife, my two kids, you know, I've got, got two young children and you know, I don't want to leave them. And you, as you said, retiring early on my own terms. Yeah. Um, some people, some footballers can't retire. Mm. They have to play to their 40 years yeah, old. And because, kill their body. Yeah, because yeah. they haven't looked hard. But don't get me wrong, some footballers <clears throat> want to play because they will love football still. And yeah, they just yeah. want to keep playing and playing. So mm. it's, it's, it's two different stories. There's, uh, there's a lot of boxers, because I follow boxing yeah. a, bit, a little bit more. And I remember watching a documentary on George Foreman. And there was like two, two sides to him. There was the first career he had to mm. become champion. Yes. Obviously fought Muhammad Ali. And then he, I think he turned into like some kind of... Like, pastor or a priest Did or something he? like that okay. uh, turned to gods yeah. focus on that for a while then also a farmer I think and wow. then he got back into multiple uh, streams of income well, yeah. amazing story <laughs> yeah. but I think there was I don't know if it said it on the documentary but I heard he was started to run out of money and he, he came back and there's so many boxers thankfully Ali came back thankfully it wor yeah. worked out for him mm, but yeah. there are so many boxers and Think about it. I mean, they're getting punched in the face. You're yeah. losing brain cells, mm. and you're getting slower as time goes on. Yeah, of course. And so many of them make all this money, all this fame, come out of it, and then they have to go back in for the money. Mm. But then yeah. sometimes that could be life-threatening because they can literally get brain damage because yeah. they're just not the fight they used to be. Yeah. yeah. Look at Ricky Hatton. Yeah. Great example. Mm. You know, uh, I think two-time world champion, mm. different different weights, fought Manny Pacquiao. Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather mm. obviously got knocked out on yeah. both times, but then retired, tried to come back and got beaten his first fight with mm. the infamous body blow, which mm. was he was known for, yeah, the hit, yeah. hit Manhattan. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think during your career at any level, whether you're a business, sports person, mm. you've got to get yourself educated. Mm. And 
That's why I, I write my books. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And as I said in our podcast that we've done together, um, I'm not knocking the school system. I do think it needs to be updated and adjusted. That's my personal take on it. But I remember being at school thinking, once you get to 16 or whatever, then you're done and education's over. Mm. And my mindset was, well, I don't need to go back to school. Why would I do that? I've Mm. left school many years ago. Mm. Well, actually, there should be someone there saying, do you know what? The school might be done, but there are other things you need to put yourself into, Mm. such as property, business, Mm. branding, Mm. social media, business in general, you know, wellness, you know, yes. that's why we set up Mimboso because we want to give people a platform where they can talk about well-being in different parts of their life. Yes. You know. Is it easy setting an app up? I want to know. I want to ask you that question. I spoke to him earlier about it. I, want, I might want to do an app for myself. Uh, Is it easy or hard? So you got like the white... Late, like yeah. I'm not an expert yeah, in this. Yeah. So I've got Sam, who is yeah. the uh, <laughs> CEO, is, sorry, is, I put you in the spotlight. Yeah. Sorry. So my understanding <laughs> is you already got pre-made almost app, like a white label yes. one, which you can add your bits to it, or you just build one from scratch. Yeah. Now, of course, building one from scratch is a lot more expensive. Is it a lot of money? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, okay. yeah. When I say a lot, tech, mate, so what's, the best, what's, what's the best route I go then? Do, do, do I... It depends how intricate and how in depth you want the app to be it already okay. depends right. i mean i guess something like uber which mm. was like in its own niche mm. needed to build one from scratch oh, they, yeah. could they, just... they put billions into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah yeah they have yeah. I, don't, I don't think i need that type of thing i think there's a <laughs> there's a pl- platform called crunch crunch base or tech crunch or something which shows you the timeline of different tech companies how okay. much money they've had invested venture capital angel investment mm. etc so you can see if you if you're looking at a certain app that you want to develop, yes. you could go on there and kind of understand how much money it's probably going to take you and how long mm. if you want that kind of platform. If that makes sense. Yeah, I understand. Uh, if you want something basic, then you might be able to get one off the shelf and white label it. Yeah, like hearing you talk about apps just makes me really want to bang home the fact that I think it's better and easier time than ever to be like your own boss, Definitely. run your own business, be an entrepreneur. Mm. You know, not that. How many footballers 10, 20 years ago quit football early and now oh, I'm going to you know, have a watch business or I'm going to st- have my own startup tech company or whatever. Yeah. But you can start your own podcast now pretty much for free. You can have your own YouTube channel pretty much for free. You can have your own Facebook page. You can get access to millions of people pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You can have an app design where you can reach you know, some wealthy high net worths or whatever. And for pretty much low cost, I mean, I guess you just started doing your watch stuff from home, did you, when you started it? Yeah, just at home in my house. Um, as you said, it's my clients all word of mouth. Um, you know, so you don't really do any marketing? There's no marketing whatsoever. I'm, I'm going to go into that now. Mm. But, I haven't, I haven't, but you haven't any, needed it. I haven't needed it and I haven't done any marketing. Obviously, just started my new website, broadwatches.co.uk. <laughs> I'm going to plug that. <laughs> like you've been plugging yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, go. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I haven't done no marketing, nothing. And I, I need to start doing that to get myself out there. Um, obviously, when you're selling watches and, you, and you're in the watch game, you're very wary who you deal with mm. because of the, obviously the high worth of each watch. You know, it takes one get robbed by someone and it sets you back for ages. Obviously, we have insurance and things, but it's still, you know, it, it's a kick in the teeth. Yeah. Cool. Should we talk about cars? Yeah. Talk about yeah, cars. just for what's, fun. What's your favourite car of all time? My favourite car of all time is probably the 250 GTO. Yeah. Great I know, I think most people like the... Actually, is it the 250 or the 280, the square looking one? 250, you like that? Yeah. I think it's 250. Yeah, pr- yeah. The, um, what's that? Was that in the 60s, 70s? Mm. I'm not going to quote me because some people listen to that. You don't know what he's talking about. No, it's the 280 <laughs> GTO. Okay. It's the 280 G- The 250 GTO is the mega expensive curvy one. Yeah. The 280 GTO is that slightly square looking one. I think it's got the flip up lights at the front. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I mean, to be honest, I'm saying now. So they come in oh, black as well a lot. Yeah, they're yeah, a few million now. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'd have to put Testarossa right up there as my favourite. It's not the most expensive Ferrari in the world. And obviously, looking, I, I, I bought one. It's iconic. Yeah. I mean, mine just sits in my garage and I've driven it about uh, three yards yeah. since I've owned it. You know, I my, don't care. My, my, I just like looking at one it. One of my friends has got a white one. Has he? Yeah. Um, like Miami Vice. Miami Vice, yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah. yeah. I think he might have sold it actually now, but he, he had it. It was lovely. It's a great looking car to test For a white to red? Well, white's more rare. White's more rare, is it? Of course it is. Yeah. Red Tester Roaster. Yeah, it's more it's more red than white. Yeah, but red uh, for, you know. I know, but we're talking about Rosso red. Rosso red. I know, I know, but listen. 
So do you, Ferrari is red. We know yeah, that. Yeah. But sometimes then special cars True. having a special colour. You know. So do the whites it. go at a premium? They cost more, do they? Yeah, I'm sure they do. I'm thinking you sold it for a lot of money. Yeah. It's funny with the Testarossa because that was always my pin-up car, and I bought a 430 Spider as my first Ferrari, mm. um, and that was actually one of my favourite cars when I bought that. And I wanted a, a Testarossa as well. Mm. And I just thought, you know, two Ferraris, you know, 30 years old, are people going to think I'm a dick? Is yeah. that a bit too much? And Testarossas at the time for a really nice clean one were 30, 35 grand wow. when I was thinking about that. 35. And then they went up and what, two years ago, they were 170, 180. Yes. Mm. And I paid one, I think I paid 110 for mine. Uh, 1987, 15,000 miles, clean as you'll find. Good to drive? Um, nice to drive? Complete dog. It's like yeah, a tractor. They're all, they're all like dogs, The steering is like... They're all you dogs. have to do like 28 point turns. Yeah. yeah, the handbrake just like busts. You know? it's, like, it's the biggest dog ever to drive. Because mm. I think you have this vision of a Ferrari, like mm. it's going to drive like a brand new car. Yeah. It's a 1987 car. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, you, you know, like I never really go over sort of 60 in it and it just... You know, it clatters and bangs. It stinks of petrol inside. I like, love that. Line. It, well, yeah, but but no, the thing yeah. is, like, you get out to go to a meeting and you Raw. stink of petrol. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so two eighty GTOs. Uh, actually, to be honest, um, what's the, the the supercar? There's the what's um, your favourite modern car? Oh, the Aventador. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. You you like Aventador, don't you? SV, uh, S Aventador. Yeah. Or the S Aventador S. I mean, yeah. I don't own one. Yeah. Yet, but uh, F40. The F40. Yeah, that F40. was what I love. You love the F40, yeah, don't F40 you? I love that. I love yeah. both of them. F50, I love yeah. as well. Yeah. Both, both very, very good cars. Mm. The F40 is the pop up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Aventador, Aventador was like, <clears throat> he went to another level. He took Lamborghini to another level. Mm. Obviously, we had the Merchelago, which is a great car, and I have that car. But I think. Aventador just made it just looked more futuristic. Mm. It was an amazing car. I mean, you look at them now, they're just still amazing cars to look at. Yeah. yeah, and also the fact that Audi are involved in the production of them because like, we had a um, 458 Spider, Mark and yeah. I shared it, um, and we always resisted Lamborghini because Mark was like, it'll drive like a pack of shit. Mm. You know, it'll just be all sort of grunt and no finesse and all yeah. this. But Audi have really, you know, like it's, it's a tight car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the um, four-wheel drive. Yeah. I think it's I, like I've only ever owned one Ferrari mm -hmm. 458. I mm -hmm. think it was a great car, but I was never in love with it no. at all. I oh. think I think the the rear wheel drive is great if you live in a hot country, yes. but we live in fucking the UK. Yeah. Sorry, can I swear? Sorry, kids. Um, sorry, kids. I'm just passionate about this point. And, yeah. All right. Man. And yeah. I just hated it when it used to kick out, like mm. where where. You know, it was a little bit slippery, a little bit wet. Mm. Good thing about the... Well, I put my 458 through News International building. I remember. Um, with, um, uh, like, the... the um, obviously, people are going to say, yeah, whatever, Rob, you were driving too mm. fast. I wasn't going over the speed limit. Um, but the, it, the, the take about 20 minutes for the, the brakes to warm up. Whereas, like, my Panamera Turbo, mm. you could smash that and hit the brakes and there'll be no brake fade yeah. or anything like that. But I put my foot... Hit the brakes, mm. nothing happened. So... Do you, do you, are you, are you, are you, obviously you two love Lamborghini. You see, you seem like your Lamborghini guy is not Ferrari. No, I love them both. I love them both. Yeah. I love both. I love brands. them both. Yeah. So for the classics, yes. I way prefer the Ferraris. Ferrari. 280 GTO, yeah. F40, Testarossa. Mm. I think the F40 will be the car I'll go to next. Yeah, I just need to build a bigger garage. Yeah. Uh, made a mistake building my garage, didn't build it. Narrow. I built it for the cars I wanted <laughs> okay. next year, okay. not the, the cars I wanted the year after. <laughs> the year. I don't mind narrow. Yeah. It just has to be long, so you can <laughs> put more in a queue. Actually, everyone's got a wide underfloor garage. If mm. you had a, just like put them all in a queue, mm. that, that'd be cool. I built like a garage with a whole glass wall yeah. in my house so you can see yes. them all from the house, nice. which my wife absolutely hates. Yeah. She just wants to put That's plants great. in the way of it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I love that. I love. I think vintage mm. Ferrari, but I think yes. the newer cars, like that. That what's that? That Hurricane? Which one? The um, you know, the they made, that's the one. That's yeah, supposed it, to it, be yeah. outrageous in its performance, like another level. I haven't driven one. If I'm honest, my friends own them, and that, but I haven't driven one. But everyone tells me great reviews on it on the track. These cars, obviously, they're built for the track, mm. not for the road. Uh, but that's part of the marketing. If it's great on the track, yeah. like the GTR, it's always when it comes out great on the mm. track. But you know what it is as well? These cars, they're so high performance, these Specialis and the Performantes, you can't get what they're supposed to on the roads because um, speed limits and things like that. Mm. Yeah, but you can't, you, you can't get 80 grand's worth of value out of that. You don't buy it because you're getting 
80 grand's worth of value. Okay, so yeah. so you, you know, does anyone buy a, a track car so that they can get everything out of it on the road? I know I don't. No. I buy it because of what it looks like, what it says about me, yeah. and hopefully to make some money on it. And it's I, a bit I, rare as yeah, well. Yeah, I understand yeah. what you're saying, but some people love tracking cars. They're, they're made to, for the track, them Specialis yeah. and them, these cars. So you do get the car guys who love to track them. Yeah. But most, what you find is people don't buy them for the track. They buy them, yeah, they buy them for the look, but they buy them for, yeah, it's going to go up in value, yeah. which is understandable. Mm. You know, I've done it myself. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm talking about myself. Yeah. I bought a Speciali. I, I don't drive on the track. Yeah. And I couldn't get the performance out of it on the normal road. Yeah. The thing is, I like, I've never taken my car on the track because I just like, why don't you just take someone else's car and ruin their car? Because no, you, no, you, no, be, you beat no. your car around the track. No, new pads, yes. new discs, yeah. yes. new everything. I think a lot of people do do that. They, they rent their cars at the track. They've got cars there and you, you know, drive it around. Because I, I wouldn't do that. You've got to buy wheels, tyres straight yeah. after. You burn them out. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to do that to my car. No, exactly. <laughs> I would take my car, though, or a car, yeah. to the Nürburgring. You'd take I, your own car? I think I would. Yeah, I think... Yeah, because it's, it's not well, then, like... No, I suppose that, It's like a road, isn't it? Yeah. Toll yes, road, isn't yes, it, almost? Yes. So you could say you've been on it. Mm. Um, you have to pick your moments because I know there's a horrendous amount of crashes that happen on that. And mm-hmm. I think also you sign something that if you crash, you've got to pay for every metre of the side or something, you know, yeah. it's really expensive if that. you crash. Didn't so, yeah, it's a bit wow. of a risk. Mm. That's what, what I heard. Why do you think cars are like, obviously not all cars, but um, sort of the higher end cars have gone up so much in value and then just really recently why they've dropped a bit? Like anything, we don't, no one really knows. Um, cars are definitely dropped, definitely a lot. Um, even my own cars, I, I can see the values dropping slightly, but... I don't know. Do you think it was a bubble? No, I don't think so. I think it, things got up and down in, all, all the time. Obviously, watches now are, are very, very high, a very strong commodity. But I think a great car, as you, these cars you're mentioning, will always you know, come back around and go up in value. Mm. So if you wanted to buy a car, um, and maybe not a Ferrari, but a car which you would hope to go up in value, what elements are you looking for? Well, you said like anything, limited production. Yeah, um, but you know that, but a lot of people don't know that. So, because you've always said to me, it's all about numbers. It's all about numbers. It's all yeah. about numbers for watches, mm. for mm. cars. And the brand, yeah. and the correct brands. We know, obviously, car in car in car terms, the major brands are Ferrari, Porsche, um, Porsche, Lamborghini. Yeah, these type of brands. Um, Mercedes, some Mercedes, vintage Mercedes yeah. are great, but as we... I've the bought, gold wings and that. Yeah, but I've bought Mercedes, like, just the normal ones, the modern ones. Mate, as soon as you try to... It's just, you lose so much. Yeah. 60%, yeah. 70%, you just lose straight. It's, it's horrible. Mm. You know, I, I, I bought a car years ago for, like, 100 grand it was. I look an auto trader now, mate. They're, like, 10 grand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. like, you know what? I might buy that again. It's a great yeah. car. Yeah. I swear that, and I'm like that. But, um, yeah, I think definitely buy certain brands... Do, do research, limit production, things that they don't make no more as well. Mm. Obviously, in car terms, service history. Things yeah. have to have service history. You know, you need to know where it's come from. Mm-hmm. Has it been looked after well? Because some guys, they just, they rag it around yeah. and don't care about it. Mm. Well, when I bought the Testarossa, because my business partner's well into um, all of that. And by the way, those few things you said, I think that's great information that people should definitely make a note of. Um, we got a chap who rest- hand restores 250 GTOs and all of that. Wow. Uh, and that's what he does for a living. Mm. And we got him, t- we paid him like a few hundred quid mm. on the cars we were looking at yeah. to go and do a check yeah. around them. Mm. And you know, like normally when you send someone like that, you just expect like a massive report of all the things that are wrong with it. Mm. And we found this Ferrari, which like I said, paid about 110 grand. And then he, th- he said it was one of the cleanest if it, he's ever ever seen. See, things like paying someone like with so much experience. A few hundred quid. Experience. Same, yeah, it's exactly. priceless. Yeah. It's worth investing in that. Mm. Which, is, which is great. And what about art? You're obviously big into art. Mm. Um, I'm into art, but you know, you deal in it and it's yeah. your business. Um, what things can you look into to hopefully have art that appreciates? Well, you know what? Like, um, I always say I'm very, very honest about this fact that uh, with Woodbury House, our uh, private art agency, we're based in London, um, kind of got into it by kind of chance. Um, always in business, but we were approached by kind of a mentor at the time, even though we didn't brand him that, um, and a art expert dealer. He said uh, he approached me and my business partner and offered us some works to, to promote and sell, which we did, and we sold out within about six weeks, and the business was born from there. So the point I'm trying to make is I wouldn't, 
regard myself as an expert, but just like yourself, when you mentioned about watches, you mm. stick to Rolex, Patek Philippe, RM, mm. and AP. AP. Mm. And then you get to know those areas really well. Mm. It's like property. You can, you're not always going to become a property expert, but if you know HMOs really well, mm. service accommodation. Know local area, know the yeah. streets, know the years. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. You start to pick up a lot more information in a specific uh, strategy within that whole market. So with us, I was always told that if you're going <clears> to... <throat> As far as investments concerned, because I know some people buy art for decoration of their office at mm -hmm. home or just to collect because it's going to complement what they've already got. Um, ask yourself three questions. Is the artist backed by a recognised museum? Is the artist backed by a recognised art agency or gallery? And is the artist backed by a recognised, uh, what was the third one now? Gallery, museum, agency or a family or an art dealer? Mm -hmm. Someone who's like known for back in uh, blue chip or investment great yeah. art artists. And if the answer is yes to all three, you've probably got a winner. Yeah. If it's two or one, the probability gets diluted. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's how you kind of look at it. Obviously you've got modern art, pop art, and the mm -hmm. biggest movement today, which we deal in, mm -hmm. is the contemporary street art movement. And the main person that we deal with at the moment is Richard Hamilton. I, yeah. I, I love your stuff. <clears throat> he passed away, did he? Is it? So roughly about... 14, 15 months ago, he yes. passed away. He was dubbed by the New York Times as the godfather of street art. He was affiliated with Jean-Michel Basquiat and Keith Haring. And basically, some of these names would mean absolutely nothing to people. But when I say the name Banksy, mm -hmm. everyone knows who Banksy is. Mm -hmm. He got his inspiration from Amazing. the three main guys mm -hmm. in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And I'll just give you a quick story. Basically, Jean-Michel Basquiat, he died of drug-related symptoms. He used to go out with Madonna. Mm. So that gives you kind of an understanding what sort of level he was at. He was a household name, a celebrity in his mm. own right. Keith Haring died of uh, AIDS, I believe, around about 32, 33 years wow. of age. So both young guys. But if you look at Sotheby's, Christie's and Phillips today, some Haring's work, you can find them going between 20, 30 million dollars, sometimes a bit more. But Jean-Michel Basquiat, one of his pieces in 2017, went for i think in christie's in new york yeah, i need to i need to just do my homework a little bit more Crazy but money. it went for 110.5 million dollars 110.5 million dollars that's one piece of art wow. hamilton was the last survivor member up until just over a year ago so all the uh hallmarks suggest the evidence suggests it's only going to go in one direction yes. and since his past other bids have done an auction blew all estimates uh, one of the pieces, and yeah, we're just seeing a lot, mm. a lot of people approach so, us. Would you say it's good to get <clears throat> by his artwork right now? He's still kind of early, still, isn't it? Yeah, I think like when you, if you look at, they always say history re repeats itself. Mm. Recessions, they're always going to come, mm. like them or not. Just accept they're coming, yes. and you need to deal with it. And with with art history, like with certain key influences in their in like their genres. Um, over like a two or three year period after they passed away, the market moved, yes. but the ex exponential growth where it goes to a completely another planet happens mm. within a probably about a five year period. Yeah. I would I reckon that Hamilton's gonna have like some million, two million, three million pound auction results in the next coming years. I don't see why not though. I can't guarantee it, but people that I know who work for the estate or the copyright mm. or know the family or also know art history and they're mm. very close with Christie's and people like that, as in the auction houses. They're all suggesting it's going to go that way. I've seen the I've seen the DVD, the one we I saw. The Shadow Man, yeah, Shadow Man, that's amazing. I'd, I'd recommend anyone to watch that. Can you oh, watch yeah. it on YouTube or? or? Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's really. Or you can contact our yeah. company, Woodbury House. And, <laughs> no. But and, I, I I enjoyed it. Um, I really, you know, you got to see how his life was. You know, you got to. Well, you I, come to the screen, private screen. Yeah, I, ca I came, yeah, I came to it, and I I, I loved it. It, ma it made me understand him a bit more, and it made me want to buy the art. Yeah. Even though I haven't bought the art yet. And I'm still trying to switch your arm. Um, Get rid of a packet. No, but no, listen, I'm definitely very, very interested in it. So I asked Kieran. That sounds you like know, a buying question to uh, me. Yeah. <laughs> I asked Kieran, how do you start getting into watches? Because, you know, a lot of people listening to this, they might not have 40, 50 grand for a watch. They might not. What's a sort of a, an entry level piece of, is it Hamilton? What's that sort of money? So you've got originals. Yeah. Which are always going to be more desirable. What's, what's entry level there? So it's all about the quality. Yeah. I would say a shadow head, which is like his kind of regular currency as far as Hamilton's concerned, between 30, 40,000 pot okay. potentially, a good quality. Yeah. You could get original, but on paper. Yeah. So canvas is better. 
But then when you go to, to paper, it's still going to be investment grade, but you have to understand the thoroughbred bread collectors will want the canvases. Mm, yeah. The regular investors or people that are kind of, kind of in art will certainly buy the papers. And then you also got the limited editions. Now, yeah. I used to kind of like when I first didn't really understand art, I used to knock editions thinking, well, they're just prints, they're just copies. Mm. When actual fact, if you look at Jean-Michel Basquiat, Keith Haring, even Andy Warhol, Banksy, any of these top names, even Cause, uh, mm. Jeff Koons, yes. Damien Hirst, their they're copies or limited editions, they're going for hundreds of thousands. Really? I remember seeing Sotheby's um, had a one of, was it 50 or 25 of Jean-Michel Basquiat? I can't remember the title of it. It might even been untitled. Okay. It went for like three hundred forty, three hundred fifty thousand wow. dollars mm. for for lit, essentially a copy. Because naturally, people think, "Oh, the copies and they're not they're not going to make money." Yeah. Well, it's all about supply and demand, though, yeah. isn't it? It is. It, it, you know, in the end, a hundred edition of a very popular artist mm. is not a lot of pieces. No, yeah, not in the world. Yeah. And what we find, what we find with our client database is, you get uh, someone who buys a Hamilton. I sold one for. I won't say completely, actually, but, you know, over mm. half a million. Mm. And it was a masterpiece. And uh, I know the, the client, really nice guy, didn't want to keep it in his house because who wants to keep, even if you've got a £10 mm. million pound house with all the security, mm. you're always going to be worried about your kid bumping into it. If mm. you have a party, someone throws wine over it. Mm. You know, just anything can happen. It can get robbed. So they keep it in storage, but then what they do for almost bragging rights, they buy the limited edition as well, have it up on the wall and wow. say, yeah, I only a limited edition, which is still tens of thousands, but the real one I've got in Bond. Oh, I love and, that. It's, and it's kind of like you've got best of both worlds. Yeah, that's, mm. that's a good idea. Very good it's idea. It's def definitely worth mm. doing. So we, mm. we are finding more and more and more people yeah. are doing that. Mm. Um, it's funny you say about uh, the, the limited editions, because um, one thing I never got about AP in the early days, when I was more into Rolex, I just used to think they've got this Royal Oak. And they just bring out like eight editions of the same watch. You know, like it's just the, the Schumacher, the Montoya, LeBron, LeBron, Ar Ar the Arnie watches, yeah. the Barrichellos. Yeah. It's just like, I almost felt like it's a bit like they're taking the piss out of the customers a bit. <laughs> it's the same freaking watch over and over and over, but it's supply and demand. Mm. If you've got this design, Gerald Genta design, very famous design. You make one piece, 50 of them. Mm. Their tooling can make the same piece and make it slightly different, put someone else's name on it, 50 of them. So in a way, it's quite clever. Mm. It's taking the same model, but it's creating some scarcity of supply and demand, yeah. which is to a certain extent what the limited editions can do with a popular artist. Because yeah. if like someone like Damien Hurst, there's like a million people that like a piece of his art, but they can't afford his you know, um, originals, yeah. well, a, a one in a hundred, if you've got 200 buyers who pay for that and there's only 100 of them, the price is going to go up. Yeah, exactly. And also, So how do we get into art? It's good. So like some people can't get 50 grand Patek, they can't get 40 grand Hamilton. Yeah. Where do you start? Because I started with a five grand Rolex getting into watches. And actually that was a great journey to go through because mm -hmm. I learned about watches. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm into art, but you know, I don't know. I'd, if I had a choice between 50 grand piece of art and a 50 grand watch, I'm going yeah. to buy a watch every time. Well, it's kind of like the same kind of question with with cars, watches, and loads of other things. Maybe not so much with property, but definitely with art. I always ask a client if they're going to get into it the first time, what is your motivation for buying it? Is it because it's going to decorate your home? Is it because it's going to decorate or complement your, your already existing portfolio? Or are you looking to make money from it? Because based upon their answer, you'll know what kind of, Per, how you need to kind of sell to them or present things to them. Mm. There are some people I know who don't give a damn about the backstory, do not care about what they've done. Just like it. They just say, what's the project projections? I know there's no guarantees, but in five years, what could I possibly make? Mm. So some are pure investment. Then we just show them what his predecessors have done in a, that, that time period. We always say there's never guarantees behind it, but... Judging on that, this is where it's going to go. Other people will say, right, I've got this in my portfolio. How can this fit, fit in? So understanding who you're promoting to, selling to is number one. Um, if you are not blessed or don't have the courage, maybe, of spending hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands straight away, a good limited edition of the artist is, um, is a good place to start. Yeah, I think, I think like anything, building up slowly and seeing, seeing something you know, do well. Mm. to get people in, involved. Cause like, yeah. as you said, <clears throat> I haven't got any art at the moment, but if I did buy a piece 
and I saw it flip for just a, a, a little bit of a profit, it was like, oh, nice. Mm. Just like the watches. When someone buys a watch of me, yeah. you know, they, they see the return, they've made money, they, they, they get some more on wanting to buy more stuff. I think it's... And the, you learn as yeah, you go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, because we can all buy something not very good when we start. Maybe we're over-emotional or we just don't yeah. really understand much about the, the investment class. But, you know, because the best way to learn is doing it. Definitely. I mean, I'm all up for Experience. reading and studying, getting mentors, and, I, and mm-hmm. I'm all in on that. But at the end of the day, you really learn about watch prices when you bought one for 10 and you sold it for seven and mm-hmm. that hurts. Yes. Or you bought one for five and you've made five on it and, mm-hmm. and you love it and then, and then you learn. Definitely. Yeah. I just think as well, it depends on your appetite for risk. So like, I remember even at being here at some of the networking events, I remember speaking to one guy, I don't know how it went for him actually, but I spoke to him a few times and he straight away jumped in the deep end, commercial conversion, converting all these things. Yeah. And I don't know if- HMO what, in the cathedral when he's still living with his mum. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think this guy, you know, was already success in his own right, but as far as profit is concerned, he just said, look, doing one or two little things doesn't, doesn't make me enthusiastic or passionate, so I have to go in big. Mm. And I thought, go Fair big play. or go home, yeah. Yeah. As, I, as, as, as is commonly said, yeah. said here, which I yeah. do agree with as yeah, well. I'm not sure about that. And there are, some, there are certain people that who've got involved with art and they've bought their first bit of art off of us and they said, don't even bother showing me anything less than 100 grand because I won't get excited. Mm. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Mm. So it depends on your appetite for mm. risk. I think that if you've got a bit of an interest in it, you can start higher. I like the journey. Yeah, me too. Like my first nice car when I was like, you know, early 20s was a mm. Nissan 350Z and I freaking loved that. Yeah. Pound for pound, getting a car that I had the most love for, it was that because yeah. I went from a shit car mm. to an all right car. Yeah. Then when I got the GTR, for me, that was like, whoa. Mm. And then I got my first Ferrari and it was like, whoa. Yeah. And then I got in the Lambo, I got, whoa. But if I went straight from zero to Lambo yeah, you don't more. go through mm. all that journey Me too. Yeah. and the lessons you get yeah, yeah. I, I like, I like I'm a journey guy as well definitely start off low I didn't watching. know that it was had a name a journey guy <laughs> <laughs> I'm a journeyman <laughs> journeyman journeyman yeah. no but I'm like that as well starting off small and building up learning learning about the whatever you buy whatever product whatever mm. watch you buy getting experience and as you said if, you, if I just bought a straight watch um, for a million pounds and I've got the best watch in the world it's like, oh, okay. Don't, I'm not that really soon becomes yeah. normal. And then you've got no upgrade part. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. You know, everyone likes to upgrade and upgrade and upgrade. So I definitely agree with that. Mm. Uh, like with cars, you can get um, maybe not mega expensive Porsches. Certainly um, older vintage Mercs. Mm-hmm. Um, if you listen to Mark Homer's podcast with Quentin Wilson, Quentin um, recommends some of the 1980s Mercedes. I love them, the SLs. Um, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, you know the sort of square looking ones? Yes. They're like, you can pick them up for eight or 10 mm. grand. And he, 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 that was his next call. Because if you go back through history with Mercs, obviously the Pagodas and the, yeah. um, the SL Goldwings mm. have gone mega money. But that can be a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I like that SL. I, I was looking every day on eBay for one. So, um, yeah, I rec- I, I'm not recommending that car, but I want that car for myself. Mm. Just finding the right one. The thing with cars is you need the garage space. That's the problem. Mm. The thing with watches is you don't need as much space. Mm. Art, you don't need as much space. With a car, you need the garage space. That's what's... Because I'd have more, a lot more cars. I had five at one point. Yeah. Um, well, in fact, we had 14 at one point. Um, but I had five that were parked at my house. I had like this 750 brake GTR sat in my drive mm. just and like in the end it was just the, the water was going yeah, through. Yeah and I, also the cars I, f- I find as well with me. Maintenance. Maintenance. Yeah. Sat- servicing. Yeah. Insur- I, know I know we insure our watches but everything with the cars it seems a bit more faff. Yeah. Than yeah. Compared to watches. And, and it's bleeding yeah. a bit of money. For know. sure it yeah. is bleeding. Yeah. You know. yeah we talk about you know, like you made yeah. a bit on the speciale, but how much was the service? Exactly. exactly. You know, what was it? Yeah. I lost money. I lost exactly. money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's true. I yeah. mean, with obviously, what I think the expenses are insurance, mm. and with our, a lot of people put it in bond. So yes. then you've got that as well. When you say put it in bond, can you explain that for someone that doesn't understand so what that means? Basically, it's like a secured location. Yeah. It's, it's like having a safety deposit box but yeah. for pieces of art. Yeah, exactly. We yeah. use actually one in Switzerland uh, because when we first started promoting the Hamilton stuff, mm. the big art uh, dealer. I won't is that in Geneva, name. that one? Uh, no, it's Zurich. Okay. It's in a free port there, okay. right by the uh, airport. All right. It was called, I think it's called Art Loomis now, or right. uh, one of them. And um, Billy, uh, when I, I'm not even exaggerating, billions and billions and billions worth of art, antiques, mm, sculptures in there, mm. incredible stuff. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, if you if you've got a limited edition, you might want to just take that take that home and have it on your wall. Mm. But then when you start, you know, buying into the masterpieces mm. or very very like uh, limited, uh, well, it's exclusive works from Hamilton, anyone like this, yes. probably keep it in mm. like a you know a bond, yeah. something like that to keep it secure and safe. One more thing I want to talk about. I know you've got to be home. You're fa- gone. You have got to be I've home. Got to pick up the kids from yeah, school, exactly. <laughs> so let's just do one go more on. thing. Um, like watches been going up and up and up. Cars been going up and up and up. Slowed a bit. Art probably been. You know, you've seen a lot of growth. I just feel like one day it's got to end and everything's got to fall off a cliff like you, it did 12 you, you years always, ago. You always text me and say that. Oh, it's going to pop. I'm gonna you wait. must be sick of my negativity, <laughs> I'm mate. Go, I'm going to wait until it pops then I'm going to buy more watches. He told me yeah. to sell this as well. Yeah. He said he's probably uh, spiking. Yeah, but you, you, you can get all cocky now. <laughs> no. But, you know, in, a, in two or three years' time... Yeah, but if it does, it pops, it pops, and I just buy more watches and then wait to go back up again. I want to just say this, though, right? Because, you know, there's obviously this whole... I call it a bit... Well, propaganda about mm. Brexit. Yes. I don't really kind of think about it too much. Yeah. I don't know what you got. I know, I know. I've heard you speak about Brexit before. Mm. Recession. I always believe that these things are going to happen. Mm. And the good thing about watches, the good thing about art, the good thing about certain cars, they're a non-correlated asset class to the traditional areas like mm. banks, mm. interest rates, mm. stock market fluctuations. And typically, people used to. I know my mum and dad go down to their high street bank Bartley's and not knocking them yes. or the bank, but that's all they know. Yeah. Once you get educated in other areas, you can actually find that you can make actually bigger returns in a safer environment. Yeah. And regardless what happens to Brexit or Trump... You are right power, about the non-correlation mm. yeah. because we were talking about this before. Watches, its own animal. Mm. Property, its own animal. Mm. Art, its own animal. Cars, its own animal. And they're all peaking and dipping at different mm. times. And sometimes people would assume... Brexit recession, everything yeah, down everything. or everything up, but it's not. No, it's you know like the graphic equalizers yeah. on the hi-fi. It's it's like that. I cannot get my head around how strong the watch market is. I know it is so strong right now, and I understand what you keep saying. It has to come down. It has to come. It might come down, but it will go back up again. So. Mm. I, yeah, I would, and that's why it comes back to buy limited edition, buy watches you'd be prepared to hold for a long time, buy watches you enjoy. Definitely. It's about being patient as well. You yeah. know, like people. And I've I've been a, I've been a, I've definitely done this before in the mm. past, but now I'm growing a bit older. I feel like I can control it, but it's the emotion. Mm. Sometimes when you read something on the news, you're like, oh damn, like, mm. everything's going down, mm. and the emotion kicks in, and you want to sell everything, you want to become yeah. panic, you know, go in panic mode. Mm. I just think if you can be disciplined yeah. and just look at the facts and hold, yes, nine times out of ten over the five year period, it's going to come back. I was I was trying to tell my people, I said, watch it too. The holder always wins in the end. If you can yeah. if you can hold, if you can hold, sometimes predicaments you can't hold you mm. have to sell fair enough but if you can hold then hold it because it will go up eventually if it comes back down mm. it's like the same thing with a property I've got a lot of people that I know um, in, in property have made a fortune out of mm. it and one of the biggest regrets they always say is I so, shouldn't have sold that property yeah. yeah you know they always say it well, what was that. that Patek I paid 26 for it's now 60 17 now 70 59 80 59 80 yeah so um, I paid 26 for that I got I got thirty five for it, yeah. thinking, look at me. Yeah, but and now it's seventy. Yeah, but you wouldn't have known that. No. What is the, the, no one? What, no. Pretend? Also, what I've got to think about is that was that was oh, the right before this. Yeah, yeah. the chronograph, yeah. blue dot. The chronograph. Yeah. I liked yeah. it, but the the when I did that, the clasp came off, and that annoyed me. Yeah, but I think you said a dodgy clasp. I just thought that was a bit of a yeah, flaw in there. I think, I think it's your one. I think it's your one. My <laughs> wrist. <laughs> no, but I'm saying you sold it. You made a profit. You was happy. I was happy. And at the time, that was the right decision. Because exactly. that wasn't the watch I was in love with the most. No one has a crystal ball. No one knows if it's going to go to 100 grand. It might go back down. We don't know. But if you feel that you've made a profit and you got out, then you're happy at that time. Like mm. me, when I sell watches... It is what it is. I've made my money. I've moved on. I'll buy something else. Yeah. If, I, if I would have held on to every watch, then... Yeah, I would have made a lot, lot more money, but it's just what it is. Mm. With art, is that sort of really cyclical as well with the sort of the economy or is it again all about supply demand and an artist that's in sort of vogue? It goes back to is like as far as investments concerned, I'm not talking about just art was going to decorate somewhere because mm. um, there is obviously a big marketplace for that. But investment. Um if you've got a true blue chip artist, then yeah, the market can come back down. But I, I do honestly believe over time, 5, 10, 15 years, it's going to go back up. Because let's look at the end user, the, the real consumer. They are the billionaires, or then you've got the people worth hundreds of millions and millionaires mm. and, and so on. 
they're the ones driving the market. Now, mm. I can tell you this. They ain't got Re- a recession. Recession yeah. or no nah, recession. Don't they, they, yeah, they don't even know don't, what one no. is. They're not going to stop no. buying the yachts. No. They're not going to stop. Bu- I mean, I've got a friend of mine who's buying a private private jet and mm. everyone keeps on going, um, there's a recession, there's Brexit and all this stuff. Mm. It doesn't matter to so them. So people yeah. are buying this art. It doesn't matter to them either. Mm. Now, I'm not saying you're going to become the end user, but you can trade them in between and you can almost leverage or piggyback the movement that these bigger boys are creating. A lot of people do it in stock trading with the banks. If a big institute or Warren Buffett buys a stock, like um, I remember when he bought Heinz, I think a few years ago, put like 40 or 50% of his portfolio into it. So many smaller investors jumped onto that. Of course they did. And it's Mm. the same thing with art. You know, you're seeing, going back to Hamilton, he got, he ticked two boxes. He ticked, is he backed by a recognised agency or uh, gallery? Yes. Was he backed by a recognised art dealer or family? Yes. But he didn't really have the, 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 the museum one. It was only a week before he died, he got accepted into the MoMA, which is Museum of Modern Art. That's basically like your go-to when you want to know if someone's good or not. Mm. And he's a part of their permanent collection. So now he's got all three. So now that you've got this big organisation saying, yep, we rubber stamp this artist, so many people bought on the back end of that news mm-hmm. and it's obviously gone up in yeah, value. So I know it's a bit of a long-winded explanation, right. but yeah. I think... So I don't have to pick up my kids. It's Kieran that has to pick up his kids. Oh. Listen, I don't have to pick my kids up. I can text my wife and say... Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's true though. I can stay and talk. No, no, it's cool. I think we're probably good. I think we've had good time. We've been over an hour. Yeah. Should Shall we wrap it, it up? Cool. Cheers, Steve. Thank, thank you for coming down much. to the studio. Yeah, thank you, Kieran. Pressure? No problem. All right. All right, lovely.